I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If the Lightning get Eric Carlson, are they a virtual lock for the Stanley Cup? And will the Rays try to make it work in St. Petersburg if they don't get their $900 million for the Ybor City Stadium? And why did the Bucks cut down the fan tickets to training camp? It's time to answer all your mailbag questions and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and get a free 30-day trial. That's a $15 value. And as a listener to this podcast, you'll get a free audiobook. Now, here's what you do. Go to audibletrial.com slash sportsday. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash sportsday for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. So we got lots of mailbag questions. They're all very good questions, and we'll get to those in just a second. But first I want to talk about how about the Rays? Break up the Rays. They sweep the Tigers. They win 4-2 in the matinee, and that is now a, a remarkable 14 out of the last 15 games at the Trop, which is a, uh, a the best streak they've ever had uh, in franchise history as far as home games go. That's five in a row. Um, they started their 14th different starter or opening day pitcher, if you will. Today it was Hunter Wood. C.J. Crone with a big blast in the seventh inning, a three-run bomb. And Malik Smith makes a great diving uh, catch in the eighth inning in left field. This team, Steve, is now five games above – or four games above 500 – um, which is remarkable, which guarantees him at least a 500 record going into the All-Star break. Nobody saw this, and I'm telling you, this is something that uh, that baseball will be talking about. And I think the story of the Rays, uh, in addition to the young stars, has been their their commitment and their buy-in to using this opening pitcher sequence with all these guys coming out of the bullpen. Yeah, we saw some Tigers players, you know, talking to the beat writers saying how it's really messed with them, this opener and different pitcher every at-bat and not knowing what's coming up. and it, 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 they, they don't like it. They said it's, it's effective and it works, but they don't like it, which is you know goes back to when they first tried it in Anaheim and Zach Cozart was complaining that you know, this, is, you know, this isn't baseball because you, know, you expect to see the same pitcher for three at-bats. You know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's the ultimate, you know, your job as a pitcher is to make the batter uncomfortable, whether it's throwing inside, whether it's adjusting the timing on your pitch, whether it's I throw inside two pitches in a row. Now I throw it outside so that you're you're not ready for that. I mean, that's what your job as a pitcher is. And they've just taken it to what we've seen. And we've talked about it. We've seen it in the playoffs for the last few years where you bring your closer in in the sixth inning because that's a high leverage situation. And you figure out the seventh, eighth and ninth as you get there. And that's essentially what they're doing, but they're doing it through the whole season now. But, and it, you know, Neil Solance was talking about this on the postgame show for the Rays today, that there's a lot of young players on this team that are happy to be here and, and are willing to do anything because they're just happy to be in the show. But you've got, you've got veterans like Carlos Gomez who says, I don't care where I bat in the order. I don't care when you play me or how often you play me. I just want to win. And he's hustling. Not, you know, you can... He makes his fair share of mistakes. That's fine, but he's a good defensive replacement, and he hasn't complained a bit. Sergio Romo, you want to start me? You want to close me? You want to, 
Start me today, close me tomorrow. Whatever you want me to do, I'm here. I'm buying in. I just want to win. And that's the attitude this team has. And they're four games above 500. No one's seen it coming. I'll tell you who else who had to buy in, and that's the catchers, especially Wilson Ramos. Look, it's hard um, to, to have a different guy on the mound every inning. It just is. And you have to, you know, be in tune with with that pitcher, with what his strengths are. And a lot of guys, as you mentioned, are first-year guys, so there's not a, a big track record of them on the mound. Some of them are shuttling back and forth from Durham, depending on how many options they have and what the, the overuse of the bullpen has been. And to a man, of course, they all compliment Ramos, who, who calls a great game, but those catchers have had to do a lot of work, and they have, they have done it and handled it seamlessly. And you're right. I mean, hitting is about timing as much as it is anything else. It's about being comfortable. If you can be comfortable in the batter's box, if you can have sort of a calmness, a stillness to you, be able to see the ball. And part of seeing the ball is understanding where it comes from. I mean, every pitcher has a different delivery. Some guys hide the ball better than others. Some guys are more over the top. Some are from the side, different arm slots. And so that's where, you know, multiple at-bats in the same game really start to, you know, be an advantage for the hitter. How many times do we see the uh, batting averages for hitters with starting pitchers first time through, this is what they hit, second time through? And generally, they go, the averages go up for the most part, um, you know, as, as they see the pitcher more times, especially the third time through. So you're, you've eliminated all of that. You know, it reminds me of a little bit, Steve, is that the complaining that you heard when the Rays were among the first teams to consistently employ all the shifts in the infield, especially when they moved, you know, uh, so many infielders to one side of the diamond or the other. Um, you heard it from David Ortiz and a lot of people, and it, and it messed with the players' heads because, you know, the thought was is that, well, they'll adjust and start trying to hit the ball the other way. That simply hasn't been what has happened. You know, hitters still try to launch. They still try to, uh, you know, hit the ball, uh, you know, sort of uh, with power, and, 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 and they, they tend to hit it where the shift is more times than not. So it's, it's really interesting to me that out of necessity, um, and it was never intended to be you know three out of five starts, but that the Rays have, have not only been successful, but wildly successful since May 16th. They got the lowest ERA in baseball, and it's not close to who number two is. So I, I look, I think this has been a phenomenal uh, season for them and something that – you know, all of baseball is now paying close attention to. Well, you add in all the injuries, too. Archer missed a month and a half. Faria's been out a good bit. Avaldi was out some. Brett Honeywell, you expected to be up here. You know, he's having Tommy John surgery. Anthony Bonda played a game or two up here, and then he's now hurt and having Tommy John surgery. You add that all in. Pete Abraham is a beat writer for one of the Boston papers up there. I don't remember which one. And he's an absolute Red Sox homer. And usually spends a lot of time ripping the Rays whenever the Rays and Red Sox are playing, whether it's the stadium attendance or you sure. name it. That's what he does. Yeah. Today on Twitter, he said, look, the, what the Red Sox and Yankees doing are incredible, but Kevin Cash is the manager of the year, period. And for him to well, say I've that. Well, I've heard that. That's you yeah. know, showing you know what respect that no one can believe they're doing what they're doing with what they're doing with. Right. No, I look they in in this in this division especially, and they're not close to the to the Yankees or the Red Sox right now as far as getting into the division lead, and they and they may not run down a second wild card spot. Although, if you keep getting this many games over five hundred sooner or later, um, that may that may come into play as well. Um, but you know, the the you know the playing field 
is so uneven in terms of talent and 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 salary and all the, and experience especially, and yet it's that inexperience and and you know that, that I think has helped them buy in because these guys are just getting their first taste in the major leagues. They they're putting them in positions to be successful. They're going to do whether it's starting, relieving, opening, closing. Um, they're they're all gamers and the veterans they have on this team that you mentioned like Gomez, um, some of the others, C.J. Crone, even the rookies like Jake Bowers who had to play left field uh, today or yesterday. You know, I think they, they also have had to buy in. You don't hear the complaining about whether you're batting one through nine. You know, guys are moving up and down the lineup at will. So I, I just think that it is sort of the perfect mix. And to a teammate, they seem to be interested in one thing, and that's winning winning baseball games. And if you can get that, you know, 25 guys to row the same direction, you there's a lot of ways to win. Uh, and they have found their way to win. And it's been really fun to watch. And, of course, it's easy to say, you know, when you're on this five-game winning streak and 14 out of 15 at home. Um, but I, I think, you know, people keep talking about, well, it's a small sample size. You know what? It's not that small anymore, Steve. I think we've seen almost we're at the all-star break, and this thing is working, and I don't know what would change it from working. You're at 92 games on the season, so you're you're – 11 games past the halfway mark. You've been right. employing this since May 17th, so you're about two months into employing this opener strategy. Okay. That's not a small sample size. I don't think so. You know, Now, can they keep this pace up for the rest of the year? We'll see, and, and maybe yeah. not. And maybe in, maybe in August and September, it, yeah, fatigue, it, mm-hmm. you know, that, that comes to play. That That's the thing that we don't know, right? Like, what is the toll? It, will there be a wall? You know, will, are these guys – and I don't know the answer to this. Maybe you do. Are they pitching more innings than they would if they were coming in in, in the fifth, sixth, or seventh? I'd have to look it up as far as what each player's done in the past and, and, and that. But I, I get the sense that they're not really they're not really overworking these guys. I mean, mm-hmm. they may – some of these guys may pitch, you know, more often and but less innings at a time than what they've done in the past. Maybe Matt Andres is pitching more – two inning outings instead of four inning or five inning outings. Right. But I, I don't get the sense that they are being overworked as far as the pitching goes. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're shuttling some guys between, you know, Durham and, and the big leagues as well to help when they need extra arms um, as they don't have enough starters now. Right. Well, it's been fun to watch, and the, the Rays will, uh, you know, begin their, their final series uh, before the All-Star break in Minnesota. And, Look, the Twins aren't a great baseball team. If they win a few there, you could be looking at a really good really good record uh, for them uh, going into the All-Star break. So we'll certainly be following uh, them as they go to Minnesota here and begin a series, I guess, on Friday, I believe. No, Thursday. Um, Thursday. It's a four-game oh, four four series. Yeah, that's yep. right. It is a four-game. Yeah, Thursday. So anyway, let's get to our mailbag. We appreciate all the interaction. we got some really good questions for you, and I'm, uh, I'm ready to go if you are. All right, we're going to start with the Ray Stadium, who they announced the $900 million stadium in Ybor City on Tuesday. So Scott asks, will a new race stadium lead to an increase in fan support? New digs in Miami didn't help much, although ownership and location contributed. Young, exciting team, beautiful new park, innovative leadership doing what they can to stay competitive in a brutal division. Seems like enough to me. Um, I think it will. Uh, a, a couple things about it. I think, uh, you know, we've talked about Miami and how that's not maybe the best location. Um, I think the Rays, you know, if they had had their preferences it would have been a downtown stadium it is a downtown stadium it's an ebor maybe it's not on the waterfront like they would have preferred perhaps um but it, it's in the right location in terms of 
how many more million and a half more people, you know, within a within a shorter radius than than St. Petersburg. Um, so, uh, you know, the other the other part of this is, you know, for this stadium to get built, you're going to require a lot of corporate support, which means a lot of purchase of tickets and suites and club seats and those sort of things. Now, um, that's the way baseball is supposed to work, where a large percentage, a larger percentage of your ticket sales are corporate, and then the walk-up is the smaller percentage. It has been just the opposite for the Rays in St. Petersburg. So assuming that the stadium gets built because of corporate support and because those tickets are purchased and they will be given to clients and, and, and employees and things like that, um, smaller ballpark in terms of uh, number of seats available, which creates a demand, and just the newness and the novelty of it and the fact that I think if you look at the Rays now and their young core of players, if they add to that in, in the three years or so, uh, whether they're talking 2023 before this thing is built, uh, assuming the organization continues to be successful um, getting players, that it'll be a good competitive team. So I, I do think that, uh, that it will lead to more fan support. All right, Bub asks, when, when do they have to break ground by for a 2023 to be a realistic possibility of opening day in Ebor? Well, there's a couple deadlines I got to be, I think, uh, aware of, and one of them uh, is January 1st, I guess, which is their agreement with uh, Hillsborough County um, in, in some regard that uh, that has to be executed. But what I've heard is, uh, and I I don't hold me to this. It's just you know it's been mentioned uh, at times that you're looking at breaking ground. You would have to break ground sometime by 2020, I believe. Usually, it's um, about three years to build a stadium. Yeah. Now that's what they're you know here you've got the advantage of you can build it year round you know you, that's you don't true. get some dead time in winter time where some mm-hmm. of it can't be done but um, you will battle some weather elements as you get to the summertime here so generally well, we it's got about things three called years, hurricanes so, yeah <laughs> so early 2020 is probably realistically yeah. when they need to break ground in order to be ready for to 2023 yeah that sounds right to me all right Gonzo asks, is there a chance Stu Sternberg knows he will never get a $900 million stadium funded in Tampa and just wants the team in a nearby city? And I'll piggyback on that as CB has asked, if the Rays don't get the $900 million for their spaceship, do they try to make it work with St. Pete, who seems willing to deal, or has that ship sailed? Do you think there's an ulterior motive for Stu here? I don't. Um, look, he, he can't really get out of the lease with St. Petersburg. Uh, or there would be lawsuits, and there's always lawyers. But I think that's a a fairly ironclad, you know, lease. So um, rather than make it acrimonious, and you know, I think you know John Romano wrote a good column in the Tampa Bay Times. He's our Metro columnist, and he talked about the history of uh, of baseball and stadiums. You know, the, for for years, I mean, Tampa Bay got a team because they were in the stadium business. They built a stadium in St. Petersburg, and and the you know. The existence of that, uh, the threat of teams moving, uh, built stadiums in other major league cities, whether you're talking about you know Chicago with the White Sox new stadium, Seattle, Minnesota, the Giants, all those teams were looking very longingly and, and came close to moving to St. Petersburg or at least threatened to. And I think because of that, um, we've been on the other end of it. Uh, and I think, you know, Romano makes the point that that's not a game that Sternberg really wants to play. Uh, and what, what Tampa Bay has to do as a region is decide, do they want to be a major league city or not? And now we know the cost of that. Now you know that, uh, you know, teams have moved. And, and of all the teams, you know, that have moved, uh, you know, most of them 
have have longed to get teams back in those cities again, uh, and many of them have. But well, just uh, one note on that. One note on has that has not. In the yeah. last thirty years, there's only been one baseball team that's moved. That's true. That's true. While all the other sports have a lot of movement, and baseball is the one that gets ripped for teams moving. Right. But there hasn't been, been much. There's been one team, and it's it was the Expos, which were in financial failing. That's Baseball right. bought the team and then moved mm-hmm. it to Washington and then has now has owners. They sold it to new owners. But mm-hmm. that's the only team in baseball that's moved in over 30 years. Yeah, so it's rare, and it's not something that, that MLB really wants. And so I, I do believe he's committed. As far as St. Petersburg goes, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a uh, foregone conclusion that if this doesn't work in Ebor that there isn't a solution down there. Um, the one thing you can say is that there's some there is some uh, opportunities with respect to that land, um, you know where Tropicana is now. Um, I've always you know I've always been curious, and I don't know the particulars of this, but you know um, how much you know Albert Witted mean Witted the airport property, and that means to the city of St. Petersburg. I'm not sure, um, but but you know I I still think that the Rays before they would completely decide to abandon Tampa Bay would then go back to St. Pete and try to find a solution there. I don't think it's, I don't think it's out of the question. It's just not something they're focused on now. I think they're very focused on Ebor. I think they think that's best for their franchise for all the things we just mentioned. Um, but w- would you see more discussions about if, if, whether there was a solution there? I think you would. I just don't think it's, it's something that they prefer. I don't think they'll, they'll look at that until the Ebor all place yeah, is exhausted. completely dead. Exactly, exactly, exactly right. All right, we're going to switch to the Lightning now. And Aaron asks, if the Bolts get Eric Carlson, would that be a virtual lock of the Stanley Cup, or is there more that needs to be done to get this team over the hump? Um, well, Steve, you know this. Nobody's a virtual lock. Um, but, I, but I think that, you know, if you look at what people in, in the NHL uh, and those that make predictions think, they think the Lightning are, in many cases, a favorite to go to the Stanley Cup next year. Um, and, and I think that Steve Eiserman has built a team with a young core that we've talked about um, that whether they get Eric Carlson or not should really be in the hunt and in the mix every single year. Um, you, you, your core of players are 23, 24 years old. Let's start with the, the goaltender, which where a lot of good hockey teams begin, and Andre Vasilevsky, who has like two, two more years before he even becomes a restricted free agent. He's going to get better and better. That was just his first full season of starting, it, which is – Hard to fathom when you consider how well he played. Um, you know, they locked up Kucherov. They've locked up Hedman. They've locked up Stankos. Um, you know, there, there's, you know, Braden Point's a young player. There's so many good young players and guys in their system still that are going to come up and, and replace other players. So I think that whether Carlson joins or not, they're going to be a Stanley Cup contender regardless. But with Carlson to have that sort of a a, a of a quality defenseman along with with headman and and to have four guys that are as good as as the lightning will have i think that could be one of those over the hump type acquisitions but you still got to play the games i mean do we think that you know that that pittsburgh's not going to be good do we think that the bruins aren't going to be back in it do we think that washington is one and done i mean this is the national hockey league they're the best in the world and they're going to get better too so um, I, I don't think anyone's a lock, but I do think that, that the Lightning have built a franchise that's going to compete for it for the next, I don't know, five or six years anyway. Bob asks, what kind of dirt does Steve Eiserman have on the players to keep getting these deals on contracts? <laughs> well, I don't think he has any dirt, but what he does have is a lot of sand, a lot of sunshine, and a lot of beaches. And tax-free. Um, 
and 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 yeah, and no no taxes on their money. So um, you know when you see a difference of you know a market deal that's a million and a half or two million dollars more, that's generally your state income tax, right? So you have that. Look, they've built a good organization, as they say in Canada, and I I think that 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 players. Players want two things. They want to get paid and they want to be successful. They want to be on teams that are successful. Now, some guys will sacrifice the team aspect of it for, for the money. But if you've got the combination of both, you know, it's not like that, that Lightning are getting guys with hometown discounts. Maybe they're a little below market value, but as we mentioned, you know, with the difference in, in taxes in Canada or some other states like New York or uh, California or something like, or, you know, something like that, um, and I don't know if California has a state income tax. Yes, I, I do. It's, it's rather significant. Yeah, so more than, more I, I than mean, New York, I believe. So yeah, so I so I think that 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 you know sort of is sort of the apples to oranges comparison. But um, I just think that people look where else in the National Hockey League can you enjoy this type of weather outside the arena year round? I mean, these guys play golf. Um, these guys don't want to freeze you know, um, year round and, and not see the sun until June. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, I think there's something, something really unique about playing here, especially when you're with a good team and this is a, this is a good team and they know they're going to be good for a number of years. So, um, I just think Iserman is benefiting from his hard work and, from the ownership of Jeffrey Venick, and that's really where it all begins. I think I think the owner is a big part of that, and that's where good organizations start at the top. No and, question. And Vinick and Steve Eiserman, you know, when you're going to sign, you're going to get a lot of money. The, the tax implications here allows you to take less, as long as you don't have an ego saying, I have to have the biggest contract in hockey. So you've got great ownership that looks like they're here for a long time. No reason you see Steve Eiserman leaving. You've got a team that's built to win. And you're getting a lot of money, and with the tax implications, you don't need to get as much as everybody else. It's really a no-brainer for these players to resign. Yeah, you know, Stamkos taking the discount he did. As long as you're happy here, if you that's don't right. like it here, okay, that's fine. You know, to, right. everybody's got their own. You know, what makes them happy? I remember, you know, Phil Esposito telling the story of a player back when he was GM. You know, the beginning of the franchise, coming to him asking for a trade because it's too hot here. <laughs> And he wanted to well, go back to Canada, so Phil said. Something. Phil said he traded to San Jose. <laughs> well, it is not as hot. I'll give you that. It's a drier heat, uh, but it's still not Canada. That's funny. That's a funny story. And it, you really know, to hear funny. Phil tell it, as you know, it, oh, it only makes priceless. it funnier. So yeah, it's priceless. All right, LG asks. I rarely hear Yanni Gord's name mentioned as a priority to resign. Is he a priority for the Lightning? I get he isn't a herald of top pick, but he does a lot of the gritty things that really stand out. I'm going to defer to you on Yanni, Steve. I I, I would think that he's a valued player. Uh, I don't know where he where he ranks on their mm-hmm. priority list or what his contract status is. So I'm going to defer to you on this one. Well, last off season he signed a two year contract for a million dollars a year. So this season he's entering the second year of that contract. So he's under contract for this year. At the end of this mm-hmm. year, he'll be an unrestricted free agent. So I I think. You'll see him. They probably won't negotiate with him till the end of the season. I'm guessing mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. they could do it now if they choose. Uh, but with other things in play, like an Errol Carlson or maybe other that, you probably not. I think they would definitely want to resign him. I think you know a lot of it's going to come down to you know how much money he's going to want, and a lot of that may depend on how good he is this season. Um, so how much money he's going to want, and you know like. You know, Iserman, you know, as Jonathan Marshall show was in the Stanley Cup for Vegas this year and, and had a really good year in Florida. And some people had ripped Iserman for letting him go. Well, 
Iserman offered the exact same contract Florida did when he left a couple years ago. But Marcia so said, I've got a better shot at playing in Florida because they don't have as many top-line people. Sure. They didn't have as good of a team, so he had a better shot at playing more, and that's why he chose her. He didn't want to leave Tampa Bay necessarily. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so some of that comes into, you know, when Yanni Gord, let's say at the end of the season, or, or some of the other players that become unrestricted free agents, it's, you know, how much money am I going to get? And if it's the same offer somewhere else, do I feel I've got a shot, shot to play more or potentially earn more somewhere else because I can – score more, play more, et cetera. So the, I think those all things come in, into effect with it. But I believe they want to sign Yanni Gord. I don't think they you know, want to lose it. Look at the situations they put him in and the line you know, that he was on with Braden Point a lot of the year. And, and his versatility, they, would, they could move him up and down between any of the lines, really. Mm-hmm. And plays the penalty kill, plays power, you know, can play some power play. No, I, I think he's – I wouldn't say he's a priority, but they definitely want to re-sign him. I mean, he's. I don't know if he's. They're not. I don't think at this point they've considered him part of that core of Kucherov, Stamkos, and, and that. Right. That you know, and I think next year the the, the priority is going to be resigning Braden Point, who will be a restricted free agent, so he can't necessarily just leave. But, sure. but yeah, I think and they. Lot, want, I think they want to resign Yanni Gord, but he might become a victim of the salary cap next year. He could, and a lot will depend too on on if other players emerge from their minor system that um, you know seem to have a bigger upside than him and and demand more time on the ice. So. All that's a factor in there. All right, we're going to switch to the Bucks now. And Les asks, we've heard from players, local media, national media, even a half-assed memo from the Bucks organization about the Jameis Winston suspension, but not a peep out of our head coach. Doesn't that seem weird? Could the Glazers have him on a gag order? <laughs> um, no. Well, look, it's an organizational decision to release their one-line statement after Jameis's suspension. Um I'm, I know Dirk Cutter, who really doesn't uh, in necessarily embrace his time with the media as- answering questions. <laughs> uh, but the day after the minicamp ended in the uh, offseason, the final minicamp, he was on vacation. And I don't begrudge these guys um, their time away no more than I begrudge myself. Uh, so I would say this. you know, Dirk Cutter will be asked – early and often about Jameis's suspension in any way you can think we can frame the question he's going to be asked about it and many times he will you know defer to what the bucks have already said and say that's you know I'm not I'm not discussing it anymore and, and in some cases um, you know in talking about how what their preparation plans are and who's going to play he'll have to address you know the elephant in the room which is not really an elephant anymore. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, because everybody now knows that he's going to miss the first three games. So it's not as if he can totally avoid it forever. But in as much as this is the offseason and, you know, they, you know, Jason Light hasn't talked about it. The owners haven't talked about it. It was a a statement, you know, essentially crafted from more than likely Nelson Luis or somebody um, in the Bucks uh, media relations department. 
that's going to be their organizational statement. I, I think when we get to training camp, there'll be a lot of discussion. A lot of people will be asked and will have will be more or less, you know, put in a position to, to speak about it. And Dirk, Dirk talks to us almost every day. So um, I just think that he knows what's coming and no need to jump into the fire now. And it's not unusual to, um, you know, to let the organization put out a statement and let it let it sit there for now. This is the off season. Um, so Dirk's not – I hope he doesn't weigh in before we get a chance to talk to him. That'll <laughs> that'll kind of suck for us if he goes on, you know, some national – radio or, or television show and talks about it first all right well mark asked kind of kind of a follow-up to this but as far as hearing from someone if you mm-hmm. get the first question when Jameis winston speaks in front of the media what do you ask him <laughs> well my friend you'll have to wait uh, i'm gonna bail on that only because if i told you and i don't get the first question then somebody will ask it for me and i like to ask my own questions well and you don't so, want to give Jameis a heads up and I don't want him to think about it. Exactly. I'd like to like We know, an he, we know he listens response. to this podcast. So I will say this that no matter what I ask, if it involves anything regarding the suspension, I promise you he will not answer it with, without merely referring to what he has already said, which will be, you know, something along the lines of, you know, I, I made a statement at the time of the suspension, I stand by my statement. I have nothing else to say about that situation. I'm moving forward. I'm focused on, you know, a uh, hundred different ways of saying I'm focused on today. I'm focused on this practice. I'm focused on this first game. Whatever, whenever he's asked it, I think that's that's probably um, going – in fact, I know that's going to be his approach. So uh, the question still has to be asked, and I would imagine if I got the first one, uh, I'm, I'm not just, you know, I'm not going to throw a softball up there for him. I mean – I guess I could ask how his baby's doing or something to that effect, but you know, chances are it'll be about about his apology or about his suspension. But I don't want to get into the details because we might actually get that opportunity. So you'll have to wait. All right, Tom asked. So we heard on Wednesday that Randy Moss is now a mentor of Jameis Winston. Is that a good thing? I had the same question in my head when I saw that, and it was a good piece by Kevin O'Donnell and good hustle for him to get out there. Uh, where they where they frequently uh, practice out there at Skyway or wherever they were, to say I was a, su- a little surprised is maybe an understatement. When I think about the possible mentors for Jameis Winston, I don't know who they rejected that was on that list before they got to Randy Moss. I mean, um, look, Randy Moss is in a different place today than he was as a player, and he made his share of mistakes, not those types of mistakes, but – Things that, you know, A, prevented him from going to Florida State, and B, um, certainly were problematic for him during his NFL uh, career. Um, now, you know, he, again, he has, he's, he's grown up uh, to, to a large extent. He's somebody who is uh, on television and, and uh, by all accounts is received very well at ESPN and their Sunday countdown show. Um, and he has been mentored himself by guys like Chris Carter and others for some of his off-field transgressions. But I just I, – I, I sort of struggle with the idea that, that, that whomever's idea this was, um, that they would come up with Randy Moss. And maybe there's been other guys, you know, along the way. I mean, look, Derek Brooks is somebody who I thought has been a mentor to Jameis ever since he came out of Florida State. I don't know what his role is, if any, now. Um, you know, he does work for the NFL, but he's still – you know, a Florida State alumni, a Buck alumni, and 
I would think, has communication with Jameis. But when you think about the Tampa Bay area, um, just just this area alone, I mean, why not a Tony Dungy? You know, if, if you're looking for mentors, um, you know, here's a guy that was that for Michael Vick when he came out of prison. Um, and I'm not equating dogfighting to what Jameis did. I'm just simply saying that, you know, Hall of Fame coach, local. And, and, and again, I don't know that Tony hasn't talked to Jameis. I don't know that Jameis hasn't. Uh, you know, he. The, my point is, I think there are probably a numerous mentors, but the one we found out about first, at least, is is Randy Moss, and that seems a little puzzling to me, um, simply because I could probably list, I don't know, 15, 20 guys. Warwick Dunn, um, you know, if you wanted to go the Florida State route. I mean, there's Vincent Jackson, who is who is local. I mean, there's so many guys um, that would seem to uh, to to have, uh, I don't know. Uh, status above a Randy Moss, but that's that's who we, we've seen him with. So I, I don't I don't understand that part. All right, we got a question from Shug who asks, "Why do you think the Bucks cut down the fans' tickets to training camp? I would think at this time they would want as much fan support as possible." Well, they do, but what they also want are season pass holders, and so they're trying to create uh, an incentive for those folks uh, and for for the folks who aren't season pass holders to then become that. Um, so there's a couple things at play here and I don't know what to put priority on, on, on what just yet. I'd have to spend more time talking to Brian Ford about the mentality of it. But first of all, be aware that there are teams that charge, that's right. They charge you to go to training camp as in pay a $5 ticket fee to get in and watch, you know, and, and much, much of that money sometimes is donated to charity or something else, but it, it isn't just automatically free. So you know the you know the free days. Uh, you know what is free these days is very few things, but training camp was one of them. Um, there, there's a limited space out there. We know that you know in the past they had um, sort of bleacher seating that was covered. That's no longer going to be the case. Okay, that has been that has sort of been removed. Now, as to why, I, I can't exactly say um, with any great confidence, uh, except that. Uh, for the crowds they typically get. Now, there are some big crowds early in training camp, especially on the weekends. You know, the weekends is when most people are free to come out there, right? Um, but, you know, they have a military. Like, for example, the first practice has, for the last several years, been closed because they invite the families of, of military and veterans to come out there. Um, so that's sort of their relationship with McDill and, and other places, you know, in the community with our service members. So that 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 takes up part of it. The other thing is, they now have this you know indoor facility, which can seat about thirty five hundred people or so in bleacher seats. Now, will the Bucks be inside a lot every day, all the time? No, but there's going to be you know a number of times where they will want to go in there or portions of the practice, and you're limited as to how many people you can put in there. It's still a good number, um, but if you had an open practice, maybe not everyone could fit in there. So. Um, I think there's a multitude of sort of sliding scale reasons. It's only six less practices, I believe, than what, what people are normally accustomed to getting or what they got last year. Uh, and many of those are during the week. So um, uh, I, I think somewhere in there is the answer, but it's probably a combination of all of it. And they want to create a demand for their product. I mean, um, you know, they, they want people to buy season passes. and And this is – one of the rewards you get for um, being committed to going to more than one or two games. 
Well, Douglas asks, are the media still going to get their covered area during training camp, or are they going to have to sweat it out like the rest of the, them slubs? You're damn right we better get our cover. I'm not going out there for three hours a day. <laughs> There's no way. I'll send Greg Allman out there every day. Uh, I'm, I can't take the heat. I don't care if I have hats, sunscreen, and glass. No. Uh, I, I think that we will. I've been told that we will. Look, we're weak, you know? We're not <laughs> – we're not football players, okay? I mean, I played baseball. My time is long past. I'm not about, you know, the, the 98 degrees and the humidity. And even though it's a morning practice, it's still hot as all get out out there. And I want my fans blowing on me. And I still complain. I got water. I got sodas. I've got, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, ice cream or whatever those damn things are, those slushy bars that they pass out. And I'm still hot as hell. I can't wait to get off the field. So I, I hope they have a cover over my head. I think they will because they do um, their Buccaneers.com broadcast and live streaming out there, which, by the way, let me hint at this a little bit. I'm not, getting, I'm not trying to send any scoops, but I think that you might be able to watch some training camp stuff online um, before this is all said and done. And for that reason – I'm hoping they have a covered tent that we can kind of hunker down in. I'm counting on it. So if you hear me, Brian Ford, you better get that tent up for us, man. Yeah, you got to keep those computers that uh, do the live streaming all nice and cool. There, yeah, great point. Outstanding. Can't, can't, can't point. have those computers overheating. That's exactly right. Yep. All right. Ellis asks: Could the Bucks' defense sneak up on some people this year? And who on the defense could be the catalyst for this change? Well, sneak up. I mean, I. I mean, look, people people can can read the roster, so I don't know how sneaky they're going to be. Um, they're going to be better, and if they're not, then that's too bad because they've invested an awful lot on defense in the off season. The catalyst, I think, is always going to be somebody up front. Um, you know, it 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 has always started with Gerald McCoy, but he's not by himself. Um, you know, for the first time, I think he has some really good help um, for the first time in a long time, and inside. Whether you're talking about, you know, um, Bo Allen or Vita Vea, um, you know, and then, of course, I think the biggest, if, if you're looking for um, a guy who could completely turn things around for them, I mean, it's got to be Jason Pierre-Paul. I mean, this is a guy who is a, you know, even though he's going to be 29 years old, he's an established uh, elite pass rusher in this league, eight and a half sacks last year, um, the year before that, uh, double digits, I believe. Played over a thousand snaps, so he doesn't come off the field. Can play the run and the pass. He's a three-down player, um, you know. So I think defensively, whatever they do is going to have to happen up front. That's that's where they've invested. Um, yeah, I think you have some some you know some guys. Obviously, the linebacker core should be better as a result of those guys up front. Quan Alexander is going to be a better player. Levante David is still someone that can hunt. Um, you know, and they got some young corners that might help them as well. So, uh, but it all starts up front. And and as far as sneaking up, I mean, what will Mike Smith do with these guys? You know what I mean? That's that's always, you know, you're supposed to build things around your personnel. He's got better personnel. Um, but I think Mike Smith has been here now two years, so people can put on the tape and see what he likes to do. Uh, but they haven't done it with these guys, so. Uh, I think they'll be better, and if that's sneaking up, then yes, but I think most people realize they have better personnel. All right, Coach Lambden asks, what are the chances of Brenson Buckner being promoted to head coach or defensive coordinator next year? All I see are raving reviews on the guy. Another down year, and Dirk is gone. I don't know that Brenson Buckner is going to be the head coach of the Bucks per se. Um, it's not out of the question, though. 
I, I suppose. Uh, I, I can't really think of a scenario. I mean, you know, obviously, you you know, a few years ago, you had a situation where they fired John Gruden and, you know, decided to go with a, a, a guy who had never been a head coach before uh, in Raheem Morris. And some would argue, well, yeah, how'd that work out for you? But Raheem did go 10-6, and six, one of the few double-digit win seasons they've had in franchise history uh, in his second year. This this ownership is not afraid to hire minority coaches. We know that. Brentson Buckner is going to, I think, going to be a defensive coordinator uh, pretty soon. Now, whether he would be that here or somewhere else, you know, he's under contract here, and, and there's no more of this um, situation where, you know, that teams have to allow you to leave if you're a position coach to become a coordinator. If you're under contract, you don't have to do that. Now, some teams, you know, won't hold guys back, but for the most part, uh, if you've got you know, a commodity like a Brenson Buckner and you really like him, um, you're not going to let him go to another place. They did this with Rod Marinelli, who was asked to become a defense coordinator for years, and they denied his ability to move uh, to become a but, – but a head coach? Could Brenson Buckner – I don't think he – you know, if he's going to be considered a head coach somewhere else, that's how Dirk got the job. Dirk interviewed in San Francisco. They realized he was on the staff. Same thing with Raheem Morris. So sometimes if you have a guy on the staff that other people like – and you do have a coach's opening, you might want to look at him. So I think a lot will depend on how the defensive line plays. Certainly he's going to have an impact. And then we'll see after that whether, the, you know, the Bucks uh, are inclined to, to hire from within again. My guess is that if Dirk Cutter gets fired, um, as they do almost every year uh, when there's a coaching opening, I think they're going to shoot for the stars. I think they will look at as big a name, as big a proven commodity, NFL or college, that they can find. And then they'll adjust their expectations from there. All right, we'll wrap it up tonight with Brett's question. Who do you have winning the World Cup? Who's in it? Oh, uh, Croatia versus France, right? That's correct, on uh, Sunday. Yeah, I, uh, I, missed part of, I missed most of the Croatia game, although I heard it was fabulous. They seem to have a lot of momentum. However, however, I digress. Let me be clear. I think that France, viva Francais. I think that France has been uh, just a cut above everybody. I mean, this, these other games have gone to extra periods and um, prior to this round, you know, uh, penalty kicks and things like that. I just – I think that this is their year. I think that, that, that France has, um, you know, had a, uh, a more dominant um, sort of run through the World Cup. I don't think anybody's surprised they're there. Um, but certainly Croatia is maybe the best story, right? Um, so – I don't know. It's going to be exciting. I mean, I'm kind of into it. I don't have a I don't have a dog in the in the hunt, as they say. But uh, my pick is France, and I know nothing about this except what do you think, Steve? Am I on on the right track? Or as not? much as I'd like to take Croatia, they're the first team ever to win three straight knockout round games in extra time, which means they've played an extra ninety minutes of hockey or wow or soccer. In the last, and hockey. The last no, it's years. true. Yeah, they well, did go yeah. on the ice after yeah. the game, from what I hear. Yeah. They did play hockey. So you, you factor that in. You factor in that they're going to have one less day of rest before the game on Sunday because France That's won on true. Tuesday, Croatia won on Wednesday, and with the extra yeah. time factored in on that. Now, they had more rest before the round. But that's got to hurt them, right? I mean, their legs aren't going to be I would, I would think so. Um, as much as I want to take Croatia, I think France wins it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what – I think that's what the odds makers would say, right? France should what be are, the favorite. France should be the favorite. Yes. Is there a big betting line? I mean, is there? Is it, uh, this is the World Cup? So I mean, people gamble everywhere, right, across the globe. This yes. has to be one. Of, I mean, this has got to be bigger than the Super Bowl as far as gambling goes. I right? would assume worldwide it is. Yes. I mm-hmm. mean, and it's once every four years too. It's not even an annual event. There you go. 
Yeah, should be great though. It's a it's a good question, but not not necessarily one that I'm I'm astutely. Uh, Hopefully, after you know, Sunday, invested. the next World Cup, the U.S. will be involved in. You think? Well, the male World Cup, the women's World Cup, is next year in France. Of course, the U.S. women's national team will be there. And well, the good one, news and among is the favorites. The good news is, what year is it that the U.S. is hosting? So they'll be in that one. Twenty twenty six in eight years. Well, there you go. In eight years, we're a lock to be in it. Yes, in four years from now, it'll be held in <laughs> Qatar or Qatar, where it's going to be one hundred and twenty degrees when they play games. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Um, I would say, you know, I, one day we'll get into the whole, uh, you know, football versus football or soccer. And, and you know, I, again, my kids played it when they were very young. I've been around it. I'm not a soccer, really a fan. I'm not somebody that watches the Premier League every day or anything like that. Um, but obviously its popularity worldwide is, is unparalleled. And in, in the U.S. it has grown every year. Um, I, I, I still don't think it will or has supplanted, you know, what – what other sports are to this country. And I'm wondering if LeBron James had grown up just playing soccer, <laughs> would he be any good? Do you think? Uh, I think he would be, I think he'd be, I think he'd be good at any sport he played baseball, <laughs> That's what football, a, right? I, I think so, he's I mean, a phenomenal athlete who does not get hurt. Right. He's and built, I mean, you know, clearly can run all day, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be good at any sport he wants to play. So I'm just saying, like, if we took our best athletes and said, you know what, you're playing soccer. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not going to play football or basketball. Think about the guys in the NBA. You know, could Russell Westbrook, for example, be any good at soccer? I don't know. Just asking. Well, we I, got I, think, some- I think that there's, there's some to the argument. I think the bigger problem we have in this country as far as soccer goes, and uh, Jurgen Klinsmann used to talk about this all the time, and mm-hmm. it's something they're working on, but it's the coaching at the youth level. Okay, they don't have. There's not enough good coaching at the youth level where they're really teaching the game. Where in other countries, because it's the most popular sport, and they played it generationally, right? So you know, we don't we don't have enough development at the young ages to really identify the best players and get them. It's 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 building and growing in this country, and, and as mm-hmm. as the popularity of soccer grows in this country. It's following suit with it, but I think that's I think some of it's your you know your best best athletes aren't necessarily playing soccer, but I think more there's not the development at a young age to really develop talent. You know, there's some pockets here and there where there are, but there's not an overall arching like you know from little leagues to midget football to you know all that's been established in this country for you know generations. You don't have that with it's growing in soccer and it's getting better, but it that takes time to build. What about Hope Solo, who got a lot of pushback when she said that, you know, it takes $15,000 a year if you want to play on these club teams, and it's just sort of become, you know, not an everyman sport, but kind of a, uh, you know, a, a rich person's sport. I don't know if that's true, but I, I would also In this say, country. but isn't that what travel baseball is, too? And Yes. It's not, it's not just to soccer. You know, she makes some good points, and I don't know if soccer is to that to that level as far as the way it is. But, and for that reason, but, maybe we're not getting the best baseball players. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but travel baseball teams are the same way. I mean, it, it, you know, it's not – Well, how, it's not, how many minorities cheap, are playing? It, take, it takes a ton right. of time for your family, too, to be traveling all over the country every weekend. Yes, to go it to does. Games. Yes, it does. I don't know. Curious about that. I, what I do hate about um, the way we do youth sports, and this is another show we can do, is that I, I really, really wish um, that – we would let kids be kids and play multiple sports. I think. I think that's so important, and I think. I think. I think some of the injury 
rash the rash Overuse? of injuries we have Ab- in, in sports sure. is, is well but not only that but okay so you're a baseball pitcher let's say mm-hmm. and the only muscles you really work on build grow use yep. is the mm-hmm. ones you use for pitching so when you do anything that's any drastic off your muscles aren't used to it if you're playing multiple mm-hmm. sports your whole body's going to be fit is developing yes yeah and you're not overusing say your shoulder your elbow your you know whatever other part but i i think and and you've, you see a lot of stars saying the more sports you play, as long as you can, the better off you're going to be. And you got experts saying that too. And I I think that's critical. It's totally, I think it's totally true. And and yet, um, you know what you have, unfortunately, my experience anyway has been, you got a lot of youth coaches that make make hundreds of thousands of dollars, if you can believe this. Um, and you know, and this goes right up through the high schools where they they make these kids feel like they have to declare a given sport when they're 10 or 12 years old. That if you're not playing travel baseball, you'll have no chance of making your high school team. If you're not playing AAU basketball, you have no chance of making your high school team or ever seeing college. If you're not um, you know, in spring football and if you're playing baseball instead, well, guess what? You're going to lose your position on the football team. I mean, this has been sort of the, what I've experienced, and I just think it's tragic. And if you talk to any – uh, and here we are doing the show. If you talk to any um, you know, pediatric uh, or orthopedic doctor that specializes in, in, in you know pediatric injuries and things like that, they will tell you what they're seeing are overuse injuries, just exactly what you talked about. Whether you're talking about baseball um, you know, or any of the sports, it's, it's the same muscles being overused at a young age because they're playing twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday, and then there are other teams, you know, uh, when they're not with their travel teams or doing other other teams or whatever activities with their high school or, or, or during the week doing playing the same sport. I, I just think that we don't let kids be kids. And they get very often they get burned out on that sport that they played since they were eight years old by their 15 and say, you know what, I'm done. Um, and not everybody is going to get a college scholarship and not everybody is going to go to the, to the pros. We know how infrequent it is that that occurs. Um, and yet, I, I still think if you look around any professional sport, you'll see, um, especially in, in, in the case of baseball anyway, that these, these very often are guys that played a lot of sports, the ones that, you know, still have healthy arms and, you know, haven't had Tommy John by the time they're 15. And um, I, I really wish that we would rethink in this country the, the amount of pressure. And, and I've had it in my family. I, I've had to had to go through it. Um, and, you know, it's tough to, to, to tell to tell kids that they can't play club because this is, you know, there's so much peer pressure and this is the only way you're going to make your high school team. The only way you're going to do this or that. It's really hard. They put a lot of pressure. I just, I think we got it all wrong. Well, thanks for your questions. We really appreciate them. Those are some good ones. I hope you enjoyed the answers. And if you didn't agree with me or if you did, um, love to hear your comments. As always, we still have more questions we didn't get to. We'll throw some of those in tomorrow as we talk with Times columnist Tom Jones, who is always a popular guest Debbie Downer himself (laughs) I was watching Debbie Downer by the way on Saturday Night Live one of the funniest skits ever the storm clouds are brewing (laughs) it's so good Um, but yeah Tom will be on to uh, to tell us all the things that aren't going to go well uh, for the Tampa Bay uh, sports teams no he's always always a good listen and so we'll enjoy him and we'll ask him some of the questions that we maybe weren't able to get to um, tonight as well and we love your interaction uh, as always, we'll tell you how to get a hold of us. Uh, meanwhile, the Rays uh, will uh, play their final series before the All-Star game. They are at Minnesota for a four-game series. That game is tonight, 8, 10 p.m. start, Central Time, of course. Blake Snell 
going for win number 13 so he could not be an all-star with 13 wins. Can he get his ERA uh, under two? That would be even more incredible. That's right. That's what he needs. So think we want zero you want zero uh, runs and then his 13th win uh, so that he could not be an all-star with those kind of credentials. Everyone's assuming he's still going to be an all-star, but he is not yet. I haven't heard it. I haven't heard it. Yep, it's not automatic, baby. That's why you got to be voted. That's why this is such a slight. Um, so he's going to post Kyle Gibson. Uh, then you're going to have, uh, after Snell, I guess, uh, Nathan Evaldi and then Chris Archer and then a bullpen day to wrap up the series before the All-Star break. So um, Rays, Minnesota, Tom Jones tomorrow. We'll have, your, we'll have more questions as well. As always, you can reach us and interact with us. We'd love your feedback. Um, you can reach us on Twitter at SportsDayTV. That's where you can leave your questions, or you can uh, reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Feel free to ask them there as well. Uh, always, you can email me at rstroud at tampabay.com. Rate and review this podcast. We love it when you do that. We're getting great feedback, great numbers. Uh, this thing is growing daily. And uh, as we get into training camp and mini camp is just, or training camp's just around the corner, man, football's so close. I was watching the NFL Network today and, uh, and getting kind of geeked up for it. It's not that far away. So, um, we're going to have uh, lots of interviews and fun things in store for you there. But where can they find this podcast, Steve? Anywhere you get podcasts, whether you search on iTunes or Google Play, maybe you use Stitcher or TuneIn, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, or any of the hundreds of third-party apps you get for podcasts. Just search for Sports Day Tampa Bay. Click subscribe so it automatically downloads to your device every day so you can listen to it anytime you want. Leave some comments, hit likes on them, or better yet, tell a friend about it. We appreciate it. Tom Jones tomorrow, as always. We appreciate you guys listening. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Burstick. Have a great Thursday, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.